This episode of Fermented Adventure, the podcast, features Mark Breen Klein. It was recorded live and on location at Independent Spirits Distillery in Swedesboro, New Jersey. We had an incredible first visit to the distillery and really enjoyed our time with Mark, trying all their spirits and expressions and learning more about the distillery. Be sure to reach out to Mark and Independent Spirits Distillery and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, F.A. Nation, let's meet our guests. He's Mark Breen Klein. I'm Rich Shane. Dawn Ranieri's here. And this is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. And we are at Independent Spirits Distillery in South Jersey. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Rich. It's good to be here. Mark, this is a Tuesday morning. We have a lot to enjoy from your distillery, and I can't wait just to learn more and share with our listener base and the world. How did Independent Spirits Distillery get started? It's kind of a long story, and it doesn't fully involve me. This is actually my mother's place. And one year before COVID hit, and she was trying to figure out, a, well, actually a couple years before, she was trying to figure out a business or something to do as my siblings were leaving the house and the world was changing. Looked into different options, maybe doing a brewery, maybe doing some sort of kitchen. You throw a stone in Jersey, you hit a brewery. Kitchens and little food things, not a good ROI. So maybe do something with medical marijuana. Costs about a million bucks to get started, not something that this family can handle. And wound up landing on distilling. None of us had any experience with it. None of us knew anything about the business. But started the paperwork, got the loans, figured out the permits, and bought a 10-acre plot, built a building, and started distilling. There had to have been some, at least, little bit of interest in spirits or alcohol consumption in the family. Is there, is there any of that? We're honestly not a big drinking family. My grandmother makes a homemade Irish cream every Christmas, but that's about the extent of it. Nobody's a brewer. Nobody's done any of that. On my dad's side, back in the old country before the Great Wars and all of that, apparently there was some history with doing vineyards and distilling back in Transylvania type of stuff. But for my mom, no, none whatsoever. Just an interest, and it kind of led to this logical path taking a huge step into the unknown but here we are today I find that so I find that so fascinating I, you know just in a lot of ways this is just really a business decision and I guess the path of least resistance of the business decision I mean but you still went out I mean 
opening up and starting a distillery isn't, it's not like, hey, I'm just going to put a lemonade stand out on the corner. There's a lot you have to do, right? Oh, yeah. There's so much that you have to do. Uh, state permitting, buying the property. We were trying to do, well, my mom was trying to do an easy path with renting a place and reformatting it. And that turned out to be so much harder. Finding somebody that would let us take a barn or a shed or something and turn it into a business sounds pretty straightforward. You hear about it all the time with people out in Silicon Valley. Doesn't work, apparently. Doesn't work down here, at least. And so we wound up coming and getting this property and building what we wanted. And every step of the way, it just made more and more sense. My mother's passion for cooking and concocting new types of flavors and things in the kitchen for years really comes through with the spirits and following recipes. Now that I'm involved more with the formatting of everything, I have a biomedical engineering background. And that attention to detail, the lab work, the notes, and all of that really make for a uniform product that we can stand behind and be proud of. And we've got so many different products to show off. It's awesome. When you were getting your degree and going through your education, is this a place you ever anticipated finding yourself working in a distillery versus, I guess, a lab? Or, you know, what, what was that moment for you going, wow, like, I didn't think I'd be here. <laughs> Deep in the pits of partial differential equations, you think a lot about alcohol, but no, I never thought that. All right, I was there's going no to cursing that. on the podcast, Mark. All right, I don't know what you just said, but now I have to look it up. What was that? Oh, yeah. We haven't started drinking yet. Maybe we should start doing that. I can understand that better. Yeah, I don't know how I don't have more of a drinking habit, but yeah, I went through all of the math and all of the chemistry and all the bio of getting a a really fancy degree. And here I am. I was doing research in my field before COVID hit. And that was great and fun. I was in Philly doing epidemiology research with the Muta Research Institute. It's a whole story. That's like a couple podcasts in and of itself. We don't need to get into that today. But in April, when the lab closed down, I came here and the same day announced we need to make sanitizer. You need to stop what you're doing right now this needs to turn into hand sanitizer. And that's what we did. We were able to retool and reformat this entire place and make sanitizer for as much of the local community as we could. We had people showing up scared out of their minds with shampoo bottles and mason jars and whatever they had on hand. And we would fill them up and send them on their way. Some people would pay, some wouldn't. That was fine. The thing that kept the lights on, the FedEx plant and the Amazon warehouse that are right by here. They helped make sure that we didn't go under during all of that when we couldn't do anything for anybody in terms of drinkable spirits or hanging out and having a cocktail with friends. That just wasn't possible. Very proud of what we did during all of that. That was a short burst, and we've been slowly trying to get back into the public eye and be more of a popular hub and build the business back to where it should be. But it's tough. COVID has been a wild ride. I just love this story. I'm, I'm, I'm connecting to the farmland of South Jersey and really what the, the community and, and where you found your place in this community. You're, you're telling me a story about people would come with mason jars or whatever vessel they had just for hand sanitizer. But that's what people did in this community over, you know, hundreds of years. They would take care of each other. Yeah. And you put yourself here and that's what you're doing and that's your place. And it started out with, well, what kind of business are we going to run? And now you find yourself like, hey, hey, neighbor, got any more hand sanitizer? That's what I mean by it was kind of a haphazard start. 
And it all feels that way looking back, but then the bigger picture, it's very clear. And it makes a lot of sense, the path and the way that we've gotten here. And we're very proud and happy with what we've got. All right. We're not going to start out with hand sanitizer, but you tell me what clear spirit we should start out with today. We're going to start sampling these and hearing the basis and how you originated from the beginning. Are we starting with vodka? Are we starting with gin? Are we starting with moonshine? Where are, we, where are we going, Mark? Well, I would recommend the vodka. It's personally my favorite of the clear spirits from the jump. Okay. And you've got some nice vodka straight out of the freezer, as you should always keep your vodka in the freezer. Whoa, that's cold. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know it's a cold day, but trust me, it's worth it. It'll warm you in other ways. So talk about like, so the infancy. Your mom, and her name is? Carrie. Carrie. Carrie, and was she the one that started on coming up with the formulas? Was that where yeah. part of what... So, Carrie, no knowledge of distilling. How did she get some of that experience or information so she could start distilling, knowing what still to buy? How did all that come together? I don't know all of the details of what went through her mind in the beginning. Because, again, I would help as much as a son can. But I wasn't really part of the business at that stage. I know that she took a course in... Um, Colorado in order to learn the basics of how to start a business in distilling, but that was about a weekend course. Beyond that, it was a matter of researching, reaching out to companies, trying to figure out the best options. I remember speaking with her in the beginning about the idea of starting with maybe a small pot still, one of the ones that you might see on moonshiners or something like that, and trying to shift more towards the still that we got which is a beautiful... That's gorgeous. Yeah, German engineering to the max. That's the best way to express it, if you ask me. But yeah, going with a larger still, a more expensive setup, something that's going to take more to dig our way out of the debt of, but is worth it because of how smooth it is to run, how reliable it is, and how much more control we have with something like that. So the vodka was your first spirit that you created, and this is one of your favorites. Yes, Talk about why and uh, the base of the vodka. The vodka is a pure wheat vodka for the gluten intolerant celiacs among us. Gluten does not survive the distillation process. It is 100% safe to drink. No worries there. But it is just a really clean, smooth vodka. It's one of my favorite things. I consider it a sipping vodka, something that you can have maybe with some dark toast and a little bit of butter on a nice afternoon. Or it mixes beautifully into drinks. The, the versatility and the cleanliness of it. I am really. so glad we started with that. Mm-hmm. One of the first things, the notes I get is creaminess, yeah. almost milkiness. And you you do get a little bit of the peppery notes, the spicy notes of the grain. Mm-hmm. What's the proof on that? The proof on the vodka, basically all of the clear spirits except for the moonshine are 80 proof. 80 proof. Yes. And in my opinion, and maybe it's just the temperature that we're experiencing, it's mm-hmm. its like 30 plus degrees here, but I, I feel like it drinks higher than an 80 proof. It, it, it comes off a little warmer, and I love that warming note to it. Yeah. And I can almost see where that would play well with some of the cocktails you create, not just being a sipping vodka, as you mentioned, but also, you know, a base for cocktails. Yeah. Once you start to put it into things, it just disappears completely and has that subtle warmth to it at the end, but it's beautiful to work with. Wonderful vanilla notes. I almost get a little banana out of this and some bubble gum. And I think that's somewhere, as I'm understanding, with talking with Amanda Beckwith at Virginia Distilling Company, um, that's somewhere in the, the cuts. 
So you are still getting some of those uh, flavor flavonoids or esters. See, here's more. I go back to school and I try to re-listen to some of that podcast we did and better understand. But that adds so much flavor and depth to this vodka. This is delicious. Thank you. I'm really glad you like it. So this is the beginning. We're holding, you know, the beginning of hey, this distillery. But there's a lot more to it. This building and and finding a ten acre plot. I see we're surrounded by farmland. Is this actually farmed during the yes. year? Yes, this is our land, and we do not personally farm it. Just too much for two people to really do. Well, there's more than two of us. My siblings are involved too, but now we lease the land out for farming right now. Eventually, we do want to expand operations to include producing more of our botanicals and some of our grains here, showing what we do and where the things come from. But right now, all of our grains come from about five minutes away in Shiloh. As we taste this, I get black licorice that just sits on the palate. Oh, you're really going to enjoy the Akavit then. See, we're setting this up, aren't we? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a journey. It's a journey. So what are we drinking next, Mark? (laughs) Next, I would recommend the gin. See, we haven't even gotten to the 35th expression yet. (laughs) And I'm the one drinking. So this is is fun. You know, what's... What's been some of those, or what have been some of those aha moments for Kerry or you, knowing that, hey, we're on to something? I think the biggest aha moment really came with the espresso liqueur, which you'll get to after we do the clear spirits. It's a nice, sweet kind of... That would be after lunch. (laughs) (laughs) You should have brought sandwiches, yeah. You should have. I'll tell you what, I mean, right off the bat, you're a young distillery. And there's plenty to enjoy here. There's plenty to experience. So for those that are more clear spirit drinkers or more brown spirit drinkers or more flavored, I mean, you really have a lot across the board for something to, for somebody to try something. We try to cater to every possible need or want. We also have non-alcoholically infused drinks. So if you wanted to come by and try some of our homemade lemonade, our sun tea, the juices, everything that's fresh squeezed here, you're welcome to do that too. But yeah, we try to cover the board when it comes to alcohol. You can't make beer or wine, but everything else. Not yet. Well, we're dealing in New Jersey, so we have some challenges just to overcome for you to be a distillery, right? That's a very gentle way of putting it, yes. This in the glass. Talk about this clear spirit. The gin was our very first experiment with an infusion, something that would have more flavor to it than the vodka. Vodka, the point is, of course, to make it as clean as you can go, and that means you distill multiple times until it is the pure spirit that you're looking for. Gin and the Akavit that you'll try in a bit, they are different. They're more of um, an alcohol tea that you then distill again to rectify out what you want. And that was a journey, too. We we aren't really big drinkers in the family, but the gin was something that we wanted to make that wasn't just juniper berry. Gin is actually kind of my tequila, if you will. I don't care for it. I don't gravitate towards it. Some of my worst stories from college come from gin-infused evenings. And wanted to make sure that there was something that we could drink and not wind up disliking or having a bad reaction to. So there's more going on than just juniper. There's chamomile, there's orange zest. There's 11 different herbs in this gin. You talk about all the process of getting here. Mm -hmm. And I think this pretty much sums up as you grow as a distillery, the layers you continue to put on. Mm -hmm. This is still the same wheat base. Yes. 
And I think, again, you're telling me this is 80 proof. It drinks higher than 80, which I think helps to elevate a lot of the different botanicals that you put in here. There are some floral notes to it. There are also a lot of spiciness to it. Mm -hmm. Chamomile comes through really strong. Is there also lavender in here? There is not. There's not. We've gotten that, actually. Okay. Um, I can pull up the list for you. I'm sorry. I'm unprepared. That's okay. No, it's all right. And the secret sauce. We can claim that I'm (laughs) keeping secrets. Yeah, instead of There are two or three secret ingredients that you're not sharing with anybody. Um, (laughs) Kerry's very holistic. Yes. So there could be some infusion of amethyst, and that's why I'm getting the lavender because of the purple. I don't know. My old hippie mama, yeah. Um, we've got crystals all over this place. I like her already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the crystal turtles and the crystal stuff. It's fun. All the old cameras. Lots of fun stuff here. Mark, you said you're not, and you've, you've, you've emphasized, hey, we're not a big drinking family. Mm-hmm. But you've made a lot of different expressions. What is the thought, you know, what's the thought as as far as your distillery, what's the thought of just having so many different opportunities and options for people? Well, my mom's always said that old phrase of march to the beat of your own drum doesn't really apply. She feels more like an orchestra. So I think that really comes out here where making a single product or two or even three isn't really in our wheelhouse. Coming up with one thing leads to another and another and another and Honestly, the entire bar is currently covered with different spirits that you will slowly be trying today, God willing. Um, (laughs) We're doing good so far. And that is because we are keeping ourselves in check and tamping down some of that creativity because it's just too much if we explode outward into every possible option, which we will get to eventually. It's just too much in the first couple of years like this. I want to do a spirit with every native and locally grown product we can get our hands on. There's a lot to do with Jersey peaches. We're surrounded by orchards. There's a lot to do with Jersey cranberries and blueberries. All of the things that we work with right now come from as local a source as possible, and we are trying to keep it that way. Even our glass is American-made, and that has been a real struggle much more expensive than just importing straight from China and stuff, even though some of those American-made manufacturers do that very same thing. We're struggling, but we're trying to figure out the path to be as pure and true to ourselves as we can be. What should we do next? Next, I would recommend trying first the straight-up moonshine and then the apple pie moonshine. I, I really enjoy the way you're taking us through this. This is exactly part of, for Dawn and I, you know, I mentioned when we before we started, you know, our, our podcast interview, a lot of how we got started of meeting with the owners and those that were running the distillery or the tasting room and getting into this long conversation. And this this is really our experience and getting the opportunity. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you're taking the time to share everything that, you know, the history and the story of the distillery and your spirits. But this is, this is exactly when we go out and we experience this with the public, right? This is how we do it. What has been your experience or how have you been received from people that discover you or, or go on the, the Two Bridges wine tour? Very happy to be part of Two Bridges. We do as many events with them as we can and are looking forward to the next ones coming up. How has the reception been? What's it like for you to either be in the distillery or behind the bar when you have new people come in and they say, I, you know, I just found you, I followed the GPS. What's that like for them? 
It's fascinating because every single weekend we're open, I meet a new neighbor. Somebody who says, oh, I can see you from my backyard. <laughs> I'm like, well, why didn't you come here four years ago? And it's that's great because we're slowly expanding our bubble. Because we basically had a year of business before COVID hit, that really shut down a lot of our outreach, our marketing, our parties, our plans to expand the place organically have been stymied through that. And we're slowly getting our feet back under us. The reception that we have from everyone who walks through the door is resoundingly positive. It's beautiful to see. Never had a bad patron. Have yet to have somebody at the bar that's even rude. We had one person who didn't like the fact that our homemade sun tea isn't sweetened. That was the one thing. And I offered to give her sugar cake. (laughs) So yeah, it's been great. I never thought that I was going to wind up working in a distillery or behind a bar. Got through all of college without getting anywhere near that type of work. And yet here we are, and I'm happy. It's fun. It's engaging. I'm the type of guy who really thought he was going to spend his entire life in a basement laboratory doing research. And now I get to do research on stuff you get to drink. Stuff you get to actually enjoy and experience firsthand at the end of the day. Now you get to do it on a craft farm distillery. It's beautiful. What's the next one? We've got two things here now. We've got my 100% corn moonshine and the next evolution of that corn moonshine, my apple pie moonshine. So we should do the moonshine. That's the apple pie. And then, see there? I got it. So... Corn moonshine. Yes. What's the idea of doing a moonshine? It's one of those things. We're on a farm. We, we're trying to figure out a motif, a kind of vibe to go with. We're a big red barn. And you got to do a moonshine. So we did a moonshine. Jersey's known for a lot of corn. And so that's 100% local sweet corn. There's so much character to this. There's so much complexity. Mm-hmm. And I'm enjoying a couple of things. There's... A, there's a heavy viscosity to this. It sits on the mouth, but then it almost evaporates. So you're left with just this wonderful spicy notes to it, the sweetness of the corn. It just gets to play very well. And just your, your mouth says, hmm, I like this. This is, this is a good sipping moonshine here on your back you know, porch, watching the corn grow and just watching, I guess, you know, kids play a little bit or yeah. some, you know, what else you got going on back here during normal operation hours for people to enjoy? Well, as you said, it's in the 30s today, so not too much, if I have to be honest. No, but not yeah. too much today. But We've let's got... let's get to the, the, spring, the spring, the summer, and the fall. <laughs> <laughs> we have a beautiful covered porch in the back and the open field where families and pets and whole groups of people are welcome to be here for any type of thing. We're still not legally allowed to serve food. That's hopefully changing soon. So bring your own food. Please bring your own. More than happy to have people with pizzas and we get beautiful charcuterie boards and all sorts of fun stuff. And yeah, folks play in the back. We've got cornhole and different games and things. And it's a good time. It's a beautiful property. You get to watch the sunset right through the trees every day. It's lined up beautifully for that. So yeah. What a fun... I'm, I'm like one of those things like, oh, I discovered this new place. I mean, Dawn was saying, what, you came up on your Instagram feed, mm-hmm. and I'm like, how had we not, we're 35 minutes yes, away. We're, we're so accessible to Philadelphia, the Delaware County region, you know, Delaware. How did we not find you before? I mean, See, right? this is the same conversation <laughs> I have 
with at least one new neighbor every weekend, and it's just a slow progression of expansion. We're slowly meeting more people that are in our bubble, but just haven't clicked that kind of journey together yet. And it's always happy for me when that happens. It's a little sad it didn't happen sooner, but hey, you are. You made it. It took all these years for Dawn and I to find each other, and now we did. (laughs) (laughs) And now we found you. You're part of the family. Thank you, thank you. It is delicious. You mentioned that you're sourcing a lot of your grains within a five-mile radius or your your products or your ingredients. Talk about your partnerships with your, your source providers, your grain providers. Really, all of my grain comes from one farm right now in Shiloh, New Jersey, Rabbit Hill Farms. Hillary, who owns the place, is amazing. She does great work, very high quality. And yeah, she brings the grain in, we process it how it needs to be processed, and we have a mill room where we can mill, but she also helps with that when we're too busy. And then it's, yeah, a matter of fermenting, distilling, bottling, labeling, and distributing all right here. This apple pie moonshine, where are you getting your apples from? We're getting our apples from Moods Farms, which is just around the corner as well. We roast our apples in cinnamon and then soak them in our moonshine and blend it down with a little bit of their apple cider. And that's it. Otherwise, it is the 100% corn moonshine that you had before. It's not a sweet moonshine. I've had that backwoods, down-country moonshine where it comes in a mason jar and a fly will die if it tries to get too close. That's good stuff, but this is different. This is something where, again, I consider all of the spirits we have to be something you can just sip on its own, but that just disappears in some hot cider on the porch on a cold fall day. It's beautiful. I appreciate exactly the experience that you describe that I'm having, and that is it's not overly sweet, I get the cinnamon. I get the tartness of the apples. Get, you know, for, for, for what I'm enjoying here, this was very pleasing because it wasn't that sappy, sweet, artificially flavored. Right. It's very natural. Yeah. Apple moonshine. Not a single thing here has any type of artificial flavoring, no syrups or any of that stuff added. If When I get to the espresso liqueur, which will be coming up soon, <laughs> that is a cold brew Italian espresso. We make the simple syrup base here. We know exactly what's in it. Every drop of everything. But what I really love about all your spirits, everything across the board, is the viscosity, the the the, the texture, mouthfeel. the mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's 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 heavier. It allows everything to sit on the tongue. So you're not you're not you're not swallowing and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a credit to however you're distilling and the process, the wheat. And the whole way, uh, you know, whatever carries vision or whatever you're bringing to the table, this is wonderful. This is Thank probably you. one of the best apple moonshines I've had. Oh, so I'm far. so Seriously. happy to hear that. Yeah. Thank you. It really is because it, it's different in a way where we've had those, it's apple mm-hmm. and, and you get this sweetness. And to your point, I love, I, I, could, I could warm this mm-hmm. just, just a little bit. I, there's already cinnamon in there. Yeah. You could put a cinnamon stick, maybe um, um, Chinese five spice, just a little bit to spice it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But this is wonderful. This I'm really, really is. You like yeah. it? Yeah. So far, this tour has been great. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, we get to sit, talk, and drink. And drink. Well, we, as in Dawn and I, and you're our tour guide. Oh, true. Yeah. I'll keep a steady mind so far. Thank yeah. you.
Pardon the interruption. If you like what you hear, if you love what you're hearing, please share the podcast. Please take a screenshot of the podcast, post it on your social media, tag us just to let everybody else know about Fermented Adventure, the podcast. We'd be grateful for your help to grow our podcast. So what would you suggest we go to next? I think there's next. a lot to go to. I mean, I, I, to the listener, this is why you want to find a way to come to this distillery because there's so much to try and experience here. Oh, yeah. And we're not even going to touch on the menu today, really. We have basically a Jersey diner menu full of cocktails, all sorts of lovely mixed drinks that my mother and I have figured out over the couple years that we've been doing this that really speak to the products we have and make amazing things to drink. We'll be back in the spring. Please. <laughs> Come back sooner. Yeah. yeah. All right, Mark, where are we going to next? Next up, let's round out the clear spirits and do that with the Akavit, our Scandinavian Akavit. Akavit. What is Akavit? I get this question every weekend. Akavit is a Scandinavian alcohol, botanically infused, very similar kind of cousin to gin. I call it Viking gin because it comes from the land of the Vikings. But instead of that kind of pine cone, juniper berry flavor that you have, it's caraway, cardamom, coriander, a little bit of dill, some anise. Completely different botanical set. Mark, I must have had a bad Akavi experience the first time or second time we had it. Oh, yeah? I say that because it didn't taste this good. So I don't know what their Akavi was, but... I love all those spices that you get in here. Mm -hmm. And the last thing is you get this dryness and all those spices coming together just kind of play in harmony. Like you said, your mom created an orchestra, right? Yeah. In a way, this is, the, this is the quintessential orchestra where all these spices come together and play. Did you mention mint in here? No, there is no mint. The Wait. base of this is... This is also a wheat. A wheat. So this is just your wheat spirit. Mm -hmm. You are infusing this yes. with all these uh, spices. Yes. And then does it get distilled again? Yes. Wow. That's delicious. Too. Yeah. So the process for making Akavit is very similar to the process of making gin. You make a neutral spirit, the wheat, a very clean base. And from there, you infuse it kind of like making alcohol tea. So all the herbs and spices go into a container with the spirit, and that sits for a couple of days, depending on the temperatures, the volume we're making, et cetera, et cetera. I can math that out if you really want to fall asleep. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. That's the bedtime distilling podcast. But after that time has passed, it goes back in the still, gets redistilled, and all of the tannins and the color things that you see in a brown tea stay behind. And you wind up with the clean flavor components that survive distillation, and that's the clean spirit that you get at the end. I think, again, and I go back to this, that base, that wheat spirit that you're starting with is what really creates a wonderful, like, it's a clean palette for mm -hmm. all, the, like, you know, you're a painter. If you start with a clean palette, you start with quality product, then everything else you add creates this beautiful painting. Mom's into photography. Well, if you don't have good lighting, if you don't have good composition, all those things that you talk about, then you're not really going to have that great result of a picture or a photograph that you're looking for. Uh, kudos to you guys. 
Because this wouldn't be as good without that base spirit. And then what you're doing is you're elevating everything else from there. I really, again, I get that licorice that comes off that note that I get at the end, which with all those spices, this is, this is wonderful. I'm really glad you like it. Akavi is one of those things like gin. It's an acquired taste. But people who enjoy it really love it. And there aren't many Akavi distilleries in America. It's fairly hard to find. I was really impressed that you had actually heard of it before. I normally, <laughs> yeah, I normally spend a couple minutes every weekend explaining what this thing is. And it's very nice once you get into it. It works beautifully when you start to open it up with a little bit of seltzer or a little bit of juice. That set of botanicals really plays beautifully with other stuff, too. Yeah, you mentioned, like, you do cocktails here. What cocktail do you make with the Akavit? Do you do a little seltzer? Or when you mention juice, what kind of juice do you add to that? We make our own lemonade from scratch here, and we do a Jersey Dane, which is lemonade, a splash of cranberry, and the Akavit. And those citruses really play well with it. But one of my favorites is just seltzer, the Akavit, and a little bit of berry in the springtime when we get berries back. We do seasonal stuff, so it's not currently on the menu. But, yeah, we work with those, and it just it thrives in simplicity. What I'm thinking about as you're describing that too, the, the aperitivo, mm -hmm. where it's a number of different botanicals, you add a little bit of seltzer to it or a little club soda, and that's all you need. Yeah. Again, that's all you need with this. But I love the idea of throwing some berries in here too, brighten this up, a little bit of the that sweetness. Citrus yeah, and the a citrus. A little bit of sweet. That's really delicious. Does. Yeah, I muddle blueberries or raspberries, whatever I have on hand. You know, every time we talk about it, this whole conversation, I keep saying to myself, and, and your family doesn't have any experience in distilling and you don't like drinking. Not yeah, really, no, no, this is funny to me. It kind of sounds like <laughs> us that we have all these bottles and we don't drink during the week, but people probably think we drink, we drink all a the lot. Time. <laughs> That's wonderful. This is good. We could do a whole podcast just surrounding this one spirit because it's so complex. It's so much, it's so interesting. The history of Akavit is deep and intense. I mean, that's true for most of these, if you really wanted to get into it. That could be a whole spinoff of this season. We talk about vodka for 18 hours. Akavit with Mark. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still Akavit, getting so much yeah. spearmint in there. It's so interesting. You're getting the spearmint. I'm getting spearmint. Yeah. That's yeah. that cleanliness of the spirit, the really clean after mm, bit. That's good. Yeah. As gin as a new American spirit makes its place, and as distillers here in the United States are still finding their way with gin, the barrel seems to be that, oh yeah, what should we do with this? Maybe we'll throw it in a barrel. Talk about your experience and why you decided to put this into a barrel. This gin is kind of a happy accident, as the whole business is, if you really want to look at it that way. We wound up with a batch of gin and not enough bottles at one point and an extra barrel so we needed the container that the gin was in after the distillation and everything why not put it in a barrel and see what it does so we did and this is the result after two and a half about three years sitting in a barrel we pulled it out to see what it had done and it's this beautiful kind of love child of bourbon and gin it adds the best qualities of both it mellows out some of those juniper and botanical notes, but keeps them there. And it adds the kind of funk and depth and warmth that you have from barrel aging. It's very nice. 
Was this a new barrel or did you use something with something in it first? New barrel. New barrel. So you still get, I get a lot of vanilla on the nose and I think Mm. that comes out of that wheat spirit again. But I also get these caramel notes off of what the barrel is imparting. And also I get ginger. I get like a ginger ale on the nose. And has anybody said that? I have not heard that one. No, that is a new one. Yeah, I get like this little ginger ale, but I also get banana. And I think that goes back to the esters that we're talking about through your distillation process. So it's got this sweet note to it. And you get that, that it's almost like a fresh cut oak. If you cut, if you're out there with a chainsaw or a log splitter and you just cut that piece of wood, mm-hmm. that's really, I get this fresh oakiness on the nose. I get the banana. You get the banana? It's it probably because you said it, but I do get and it. And the color. And it is. It's a very sweet news. Fascinating. I, I pick apart flavors myself, of course. I need to for work. But it's wild to watch the two of you go. It's really, really cool to news. see. <laughs> you have such a sommelier's kind of nose for these things. I also get lime. <laughs> lime? Okay. Well, it does go beautifully in our um, Ginger Rogers, which is that gin with... Our um, Jamaican ginger beer, a little bit of mm. ginger slice and lime. It's a very nice, refreshing drink. Right now, this is a cocktail in a glass. It really you is. You don't need to do a lot of this. You can put this on ice. You can sip this. I'm going to line this up. I'm going to light a fire. Apple pie moonshine, Akavit, barrel-rested gin. I'm good for the night. I really am. Talk about some of the challenges. I mean, you're a young New Jersey distillery. Talk about some of the challenges of being a craft distillery here, the setting up, and and just, you know, you just want to do and make people happy. Well, the biggest challenge was COVID and continues to be that kind of lingering quieting of the industry and the getting out and trying new stuff that people have experienced. But New Jersey has been a less than kind of fertile ground for a lot of this as well. It makes it really difficult for us to distribute. The laws have made it so we can't ship outside the state. We can't even ship within the state. Transporting our goods has been kind of a pain. We self-distribute to liquor stores and bars in the area, but it's very difficult to compete against the big guys out there. And we can't ship outside, but everybody's got Tito's. Everybody's got... They're Tennessee whiskeys and things. We make whiskey here, but liquor stores don't sell it as much as Johnny Walker and other stuff because people know those. And I can't fault somebody for going for the bottle they understand and have a history with, but we're not standing out and we're not getting that extra help in order to really put a booth of our own or a shelf that stands on its own. I would love to see more of a kind of friendly attitude versus an adversarial one with the local craft scene in distribution, liquor stores, even restaurants, where they can own the fact that this is made right around the corner. This is from right here. This is grown in your backyard and you didn't even know it, but let me try and show you something beautiful today. That would be really helpful. And we're slowly getting there. The progress is being made, but it's an uphill battle. Most places just want to sell Tito's, and that's fine. My vodka is wonderful, and it does compete in terms of price point with Tito's, but it doesn't have that marketing. We don't have that cross-the-country distribution. We're hoping to get there eventually, but honestly, I like being a small local craft place. I want the money. 
But <laughs> I don't want to jeopardize the quality of our product. That's very important to my mother and myself. Every aspect of this is about quality and keeping it local. You mentioned, you know, in the beginning when we met, as far as the idea that for you, hey, you're starting, you're beginning, but people still need to find you. What efforts are you making? I mean, you're not, there's, I think it would be wonderful. And I think certain states like, you know, look, you go to Kentucky, Kentucky understands the industry. Kentucky understands the revenue of bringing people to Kentucky to drink bourbon and their brown spirits. But I hope that New Jersey and some of their surrounding areas, I mean, I think Pennsylvania is starting to embrace it. I, I certainly think Virginia's got it dialed in, although they're dealing with their own issues. New York, definitely, for the way that the wine industry has catapulted a lot of things that make it easier to follow. But with New Jersey, you know, and, and what you're doing, what is your focus to try to get people to understand and, and, and find you and, 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 and get you, you know, once you get on the lips, once you get in the, the mouth, then you, you, can, you can gain those fans. So, so where do you see that, that working and how do you do that? Really, everything seems to still be through Facebook at this point. That's the most effective path that we've found. We have our Facebook, our Instagram, our website. I do have a Twitter, although we do not post. Um, tried, didn't really do much, and now it's a whole mess for that site. You can cut this whole section about Twitter out if you want to. <laughs> but... Um, it's mostly word of mouth at this point. We've grown very organically that way, and it has been a slow growth because of it. I'm trying to find the best way to target and pinpoint our advertising for the local area. We did different types of uh, diner menus and other promotional things in the beginning, but then when COVID hit, we shut all of that down because none of it was doing anything. And a lot of it didn't really prop us up as much as we wanted to for the money. So now we're trying to find the best way to use the funds that we have in order to make it into people sitting in, in chairs or walking out with bottles. It's this a is This is, de- like, and, and I'm, I, we mentioned the Two Bridges Wine Tour, and I think that's going to help. Mm-hmm. It's going to help to get people in, in your perspective. Say, hey, if I want to complete the tour, I want to stop here. But, oh my God, there's a distillery here. Let's change up. We're not going to do wine. We're not going to do beer. Let's do something a little different. And I think the, the growth and the strength of that, that wine tour certainly helps. Oh, yeah. Where should we go next? Well, do you want to go somewhere sweet or do you want to stay with something a little bit more oaky and aged? Let's go oaky and aged. Okay. Then let's do our number one bestseller, the bourbon. Okay. So it's about patience. Yes. You are the quintessential. This is for, for, for our conversation. This is why we love sitting down and talking to people like you, Mark, because you're bootstrapping it. You're starting from the ground. You're coming up with an idea. You're working hard every day. You're hand milling your grain. You've, you've, you know, that, that's, hey, everything you do, you've got these local farmers in the area. You're bringing the grain in. You're hand milling. Then you ferment, right? Yeah. And then you put this in the glass. Well, what you're holding right now is liquid patience. Bourbon is one of those things where if you do not wait, and there are companies pouring millions and millions into solving this supposed problem, but they can't wait. They don't want to. And we are. What you have in your hands is a four and a half year old, and we are a four and a half year old business. We put that into a barrel right after opening. And that was one of the very earliest things that we distilled here. And it has been sitting, waiting for you to drink it 
for four and a half years. Is this the first barrel? This is actually our third barrel, but we were able... We're late. <laughs> <laughs> the first two, the first one, I drove up to Vermont with my fiance, now wife, and we had it filled with maple syrup. That's something that I've been dreaming about before the distillery existed, was just finding a good source for bourbon barrel-aged maple syrup and maple whiskey. We had it filled by a local small Vermont farmer, Dave, great guy. He then delivered the barrel back to us sometime before Christmas last year, and we had the maple syrup. We sold out of that pretty quickly, sure. and it is now filled with a whiskey. For those of you who don't know, uh, whiskeys can go into a barrel that's been used, bourbons cannot, so even though it's the same mix in terms of my mash ratio, it is going to be a maple whiskey. And that's going to be ready in a couple years. Barrel number two is currently up with Dave, and I'm eagerly awaiting more of that maple syrup. And then barrel number three is sitting over there empty right now, and that's going to go to one of our friends in the local brewing business. So, yeah. I love the way you bring in all these partners and the idea of like, let's put maple syrup in this and then let's reintroduce that whiskey and create another expression for what we're doing. Talk about the proof. Talk about this bourbon. The bourbon is a 92 proof. It's a little bit higher, but it's now sat for four and a half years. And honestly, I can talk all day, but I want to hear your reactions to it because I've been loving watching this happen. I can tell you about the mash bill. Mark's taking over that. the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the spirits are the things taking over the podcast. I love it. Here's my compliment to you. It's a delicious bourbon. It's very drinkable. It's, it's again, like everything else, it Sometimes I ask a question, what do you think are the characteristics of your distillery? What are you striving for when you say this is what independent is all about? What would you say those philosophies are, that business model? We want that kind of warmth and at-home feel. That little bit of country, but the quirkiness of the antique cameras that are scattered throughout. The art on the walls and the genuine craft of what we do to come out and be really visible and obvious to everyone who sees it and experiences through taste. You can bring that home with you. That's the real point. We want to share. This isn't one of those things that we're trying to keep a secret or trying to hide from others. We want everyone to experience a little bit of this. I, I love that. And, and that's what I get. I, again, you're communicating and I'm, I'm receiving exactly what you're trying to give as a total experience. You made a decision, or Kerry made a decision, we're not going to lay down 15s or 10s. We're going we're gonna to stick it in 53-gallon barrels. Yeah. What was the decision there that you weren't going to make sure you had you know, a brown spirit or bourbon or rye because that's what everybody's clamoring for, it seems. What was, why wait? What was the thought process there? Stubbornness. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, because I a, lot of, a, a lot of people answer. say, hey, like, because, because you're going to people that walk in the door, you say, hey, what do you have? We, have? we have gin, we have vodka, we have moonshine. Well, what about bourbon? Well, you know, it's not ready yet. You got another two years, two and a half years to wait where you could have put something out quicker. Well, I discussed that with my mother and we looked into options there with staves and 
all sorts of spindles and stuff like that and whatnot and realized very quickly that every aspect of that kind of ground against the core of what we were looking at we want to do these things the traditional way the old school way not necessarily the right way because there is no right or wrong in a lot of this there are some wrong ones but we don't talk about those (laughs) um no we wanted to do it the way that seemed like the right path for us and so 55 53 gallon barrels all American white oak. Char, What's the char? Uh, medium char. Food. Okay. So three? I Yes. Okay. Three. Or we have a four, but we're not using that. That was a mistaken identity barrel that came to us. It's currently propping up one of the vats filled with espresso. Liquor. <laughs> okay. So yeah, that's a peated four barrel. And I don't know how it came to oh, this place. Yeah, we might use it eventually, but it's... Oh, yeah? I'd be loving that one. You want a scotch whiskey in about four years? I would. Okay. Yeah. We actually, this is a fascinating little tangent, we offer a barrel share program where if you're really passionate about spirits, you can buy into one of these things as a layaway type of thing and own a portion of a barrel or a whole thing if you really wanted to invest. And you'll get updates, you'll get samplings, you'll be able to come in and learn about what we do and how we made exactly what you're getting in the end. So, yeah, that is an option. Something to think about. Anybody who's got some corporate money they want to throw around, have a party, do one of those retirement packages, yeah, we're here for it. We had a man come by. His son had just been born, and he wants to buy into one where he can then say, this is as old as my boy. I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that's beautiful. That's fun. What's the mash bill on this bourbon? That is 6% corn, 20% wheat, 20% rye. No barley. No barley. No barley. So, for the experience here, I really enjoy the oakiness that comes out. I want more. This wasn't a big enough pour. I, oh. I, no, oh, no. I, no. If so only for, you so knew for the person you could pour. No, I know. I'm a, <laughs> this is, but here's the thing. This is a bourbon that somebody's going to want more and want to come back to. This is a nice sipping everyday bourbon. It's 92 proof, so you're not getting blown out on it. it. You allow that rye to come in. You allow the spiciness, the sweetness of the corn. But I think for the most part, for a lot of different bourbons, it's not overly sweet. It's not overly spicy. It's not overly oaky. You really let everything play through well in harmony. Thank you so much. And it's a nice balanced bourbon. It is our best seller, and we're very, very proud of it. The patience and the effort that went into making that, I think it really shows in the end. And again, we are proud of the products that we have, every single one of them, but the bourbon in particular. It took the most time just sitting, waiting, watching as that barrel slowly evaporated the angel share out, knowing that things were just disappearing every day, but believing that because of that, it was getting better. What's the proof on the barrel age, Jim? That one is 92 as well. See, I, that's wonderful. I mean, between these both, when you do, let's say you do a flight of barrel age, you know, your brown spirits, mm-hmm. I think that stands up. That's, that's such a marriage between those bourbon and gin drinkers that come together and really get to enjoy that. Those are two really wonderful products. I'm really glad you like it. I'm excited to try the rye now. The rye has the most heat out of all of them. So, yeah, let's go. Now, this is the rye. Yeah. So, talk about your rye. The rye whiskey is, again, a barrel-aged product. That one has been through the bourbon barrel. 
but it is a mash of 6% rye, 20% wheat, 20% corn. So you get more of that peppery heat from the rye, and there is still the little bit of butteriness from the corn and the sweet of the wheat, but it's a different balance. The same three grains, but blending them at a slightly different ratio creates a completely different spirit. He's got a big smile on his face. Oh my god. You said butter, and this is butter. This is... Again, I don't want my reaction to really say of, of your other children. I don't like them as much. <laughs> but this is tremendous. This is mind-blowing. Children out there, your parents have a favorite. They just won't tell you. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Wow. I'm so happy. I love watching Holy your reactions. Cow. Wow. He's not going to so, share that one. I mean, a lot of cases, people <laughs> do like this 90-10 rye or 75-25 or, you know, what was your idea to add the wheat and the corn to your rye? It was really a matter of Because not too many places are doing that. It was looking at what's available, what the definition says something needs to be, and then... Oh, you want some too. Doing simple math. So... All right, it needs to be mostly rye, 60% mostly. Let's do that. And then we've been working with wheat and corn. They've been beautiful so far. We had done all of our other spirits with those two. Wheat and corn, 2020, make it even. And that's how it worked out. That's what we've got. And I think it really has worked nicely. Cinnamon, well, pepper. I on the news, I actually get Coca-Cola. Okay. Oh, my. Like, that's the first thing that came to my... And we're like, wow, that's different. Ah, the experimental ones, I shouldn't have told you what they are. Just see what you would call Then we won't know. <laughs> he's got, he, he picks up more than I okay. do. So and he's better at the news and the taste than I am. I do get the butter. There's butter. There's something else that I like. It's like this wonderful it's... butter, and then you get the rye. You get the, yeah. the, the greeny, the grassiness of the rye. Mm -hmm. And that's what lingers. And that plays with the oak. This is wonderful. This is something I would enter if you have not in some sort of competition. Oh, thank I you so really much. I really would. And again, I don't mean to disparage anything else we've had, but... It's um, very smooth. I wow. Like yeah. I'm really glad you like it. That yeah. means a lot. I came into this blind as we were just discussing. Didn't know you guys from Adam. But it's been great watching your reactions to everything. You're the first two people to ever run the full gauntlet, by the way. So, yeah. <laughs> We haven't gotten there yet, Mark, so we're, ah, we're, we're attempting. Yes. I'm going to save some of this. This is your liqueur, this espresso liqueur. This will be the one I'm not sharing. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> the espresso liqueur was another one of those kind of accidental concoctions where my mother loves a good white Russian. I mean, who doesn't? Me it was too. the first cocktail I learned how to make at an age that I won't disclose on anything recorded. But... White Russians are lovely, and we decided, okay, we have a beautiful vodka. Let's do something with it. Let's make a white Russian. Oh, this feels wrong, buying Kahlua. How do we make this? And that started like a six-month process of trying every coffee, espresso, caffeinated thing in the country that we could get our hands on and making different variations on it. This is an imported Italian espresso that we cold brew. We soak Madagascar vanilla in our base neutral spirit, and we even make the simple syrup from scratch, where we just use sugar and water, 
and we cook it down and caramelize it so it gets a deeper kind of rich note to it. The mouthfeel again is beautiful. I'm, I'm in love right now. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. It's my number two bestseller. Nice. After the bourbon, that one, it kept the lights on during the stage where I didn't have a bourbon. You make a coffee liqueur the way I like to drink my coffee. Sweet, but bold and bitter. Again, across the board so far, everything we've had. There's depth, there's flavor, there's character. You don't just throw coffee in your neutral grain spirit, your vodka, and say, hey, we've got a coffee liqueur. You took six months. Yeah. You experimented. You brought this in. You brought that in. You made your own simple syrup. And this is the result. This is worth the time. This is worth the effort. I'm, like, blown away. I, and, and I don't mean that to say that, you know, in any way negativity to what I expected. And I told you that. It's just we come in with a clean expectation. But... This has exceeded the expectation. I would say you guys have been in business for 15 years. You've dialed it in. You figured it out. There was no COVID. You didn't take off two years, you know, trying to find your way. This is wonderful. Yeah, the espresso liqueur. I'll often slip people just a little tiny drop or two to try it if they didn't get it with their tastings. And almost always a bottle goes home. Mm -hmm. I put a drop of that into my wife's coffee almost every morning, or I did. And Until she figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she knew. She's a school teacher in North Philly. Okay. And I swear I've saved lives thanks to that. Nice. So, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Again, super proud of that one. You should be. See, yeah. all these accidents you keep making, keep yeah. making more accidents. Yeah, not yeah. accidents. Yeah. It's meant to be. Right. Mm -hmm. it's That's what to I be. meant where this is a haphazard story. Mm -hmm. But when you look back and experience where we are and what we have, it makes so much sense. It all works together. Yeah. It fits like a beautiful tapestry. I'm taking your rye. I'm oh, putting a little bit of the coffee in there. <laughs> and I'm making an old, like a, a rye coffee old-fashioned. Oh, Nice. Yeah, I'm actually, we have a secret menu for every season. And right now, one of our secret menu items is one of the experiments. It's not a secret anymore, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not on the menu, so you have to ask about it. But it's going to be a chocolate old-fashioned. And now that you've tried the espresso and the rye, those are the last two of our chocolate. available spirits and bottles. We have a couple experimental things behind the bar that aren't currently available anywhere but here. And I'm excited to share them with you. Mark, this has been awesome. This has been, like I said, this exceeded our expectation. This has been tremendous. I, I, would, I, I'm sorry we didn't get to meet Carrie, but... Uh, Come for, back on the weekend. We're we? coming back yeah. and we're bringing people. Please. You know, we can't wait to have this open cocktail season and everything else. But thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for your hospitality. If you're in the one hour range and we're talking Philly and we're talking mid New Jersey and Delaware and Maryland and you know, mid New, you know, everywhere come here and, 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 and really enjoy your spirits. This me, is me. definitely worth the trip. So me, thank me, you so me, much. My mom, thank you so much for coming <laughs> out. It's been wonderful. I've truly enjoyed talking with you and watching your reactions as you try my products today. Can't thank you enough for coming out. Really appreciate your time. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Thank you.